0: Welcome to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast, the show that offers you tips and strategies to help speakers build the business of their dreams.
1: Now, here's your host, 30-year industry veteran and business coach, Jane Atkinson. So welcome, everyone, to the Wealthy Speaker School's master's class. We are so lucky to have Tamsin Webster in the house. Welcome, Tamsin. Hello, hello. Well, thank you so much
0: for having me and for sharing your awesome group with
1: me. Uh, We're here to talk epic keynote. And tell everybody before we start, like just what do you do in your day-to-day life?
0: So in my day-to-day life, I like to say I'm an English to English translator. Essentially what I mean by that is that I consider I've spent about 25 years now as a brand and message and positioning person. And so basically helping people translate their ideas into language and concepts that anyone can understand and be motivated to act on.
1: You know, don't you think we have this saying over here at the Wealthy Speaker School that clarity equals confidence? Yes. When you nail that kind of thing down, when you really get crystal clear on what you're selling, it's a total game changer in your business.
0: Completely. Because not only do you have that confidence, you have this kind of core message, this core story that then you can start to tell other versions of it. It becomes yeah. easier to figure out like what examples you can do and all the different places you can apply it. So it's absolutely game changing.
1: We're 100% yeah. in agreement on that. Welcome, Tanya. Welcome. I think it's Deborah. Welcome, Deborah. So happy to have Caroline and Kelly and Matthew on the line with us as well. Now, here's what we're gonna do today. We're going to record a segment for the school. We'll get that going, and then we're gonna open up for you all for Q and a. If you have a question in the moment, go ahead and put it in the chat. I've got my chat up. And I can see if we could slip it in there before we stop. But don't worry, you will get all your questions answered if you're with us live here today. Now, um, Tamsin, your book is called, is this right? Find Your Red Thread?
0: It is. Find Your Red Thread, Make Your Big Ideas Irresistible.
1: Oh, so good. What a great title. And it's so compelling. It has me leaning in with curiosity, which is exactly what we want our language to do. Tell everybody what Finding Your Red Thread really means.
0: So finding a red thread is about finding the story that people will tell themselves about your idea. And that's important because oftentimes when I'm working with speakers, thought leaders, all sorts of folks that have these big, beautiful ideas that can really change the world, even if that's just one person. We tend to focus on what we know is awesome about the idea and what we want to say about it. And we do that sometimes to the inclusion of realizing what actually somebody needs to hear in our idea in order for it to make sense and being compelling to them. But the book is really based on this idea, this fact actually, that every decision that we make as humans is based on a story that we tell ourselves. And so the whole idea of the book is like, well, since someone's going to create a story to process why your idea does or doesn't make sense anyway, why don't we start with their story? Because that's going to have all the things they need to hear in order to make sure it makes sense.
1: So So that's the idea. It kind of what we talk about in the school is we make it about them. Yes. And that way we're kind of uh, maybe managing the narrative, I guess, perhaps. We well, might.
0: absolutely. I mean, the way, another way to think about it is that we are talking about, we are making the case that your audience would make about your idea. And I think a lot of times when we think about our ideas and in in our keynotes, we're trying to like, we're up there, like we're making the case. And the challenge is like, when you do that, you're making the case from the perspective of somebody who is already convinced your idea is right, but your audience doesn't start there, right? Okay. They have to make that case for themselves. And so that's what we're building. We're building their case for your idea, not
1: yours. And this is the path to Epic Keynote. Yes. When you can kind of overcome their objections to your idea, you know, just lay it out there. You're probably thinking, da 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 Now you're actually showing them that you do understand them. So, okay, get a pen and paper out, everybody, because Uh we're going to go deep on this. Welcome, Sean. Happy to have you on the line. So, step number one to kind of finding this red thread process, go ahead and tell us what that is.
0: So, it all needs to start with figuring out what question your audience is already asking for which your idea is an answer. Mm. So there's a lot packed into that. So let me unpack it a little bit. So first one is a question your audience is already asking. So one way to think about this, of course, is the famous problem that we're all asked to say, like, what problem do you solve? What problem are you solving for them? And so a lot of times, this is exactly the problem that your audience knows they have. It's a known problem. Okay. Um, I like to frame it as a question they're already asking because, frankly, a lot of the folks that I've worked with, work for, speak to, et cetera, they're not really solving a problem. Like I spent, you know, eight years in performing arts and visual arts, and you know, they're not, you know, museum <laughs> isn't solving a problem, and they're like, oh, I don't know about this, but there are questions that people ask about the arts, say, or about higher education that are still unanswered. How do I find the right fit for my student, right? To make sure that they're going to find a place they succeed. So anchoring your keynote and a question they're already asking is the first big step.
1: So let okay. me stop there. And I'm sure you've got questions because there's yeah. more I can say. So the one big problem and the goal, why don't we run an example of that? Maybe with one of your clients or anything that's speaking related, of course, will be best.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that, so, so if I were to, well, let's talk about a problem that often shows up for speakers, right? Which is my audience is, you know, my client is asking me to fit my big, beautiful idea in a teeny tiny little space. Right. (laughs) And so the question, like if my audience are speakers, they're suffering from that right now, their question would be, how do I get my big, beautiful idea to fit? In a teeny tiny space without losing any of its power. Mm, Because, so so you see what I mean, where I'm not. So here's the thing the reason why this is so important is because, you know, one of the words you used earlier, Jane, was curiosity. We need people to be curious enough about our topic for them to lean in, decide to hire you, decide to attend your session, decide to keep listening once you start talking. And the thing we have to understand about curiosity, and this is so interesting is that it's actually a curve. It's an upside down you. I want you to think of it that way.
1: Oh, okay an upside And so down you.
0: yeah and the reason why this is important is that a lot of times our first instinct when we think about like how do we create curiosity with our content is that we think it's about being remarkable, about being different. You know, famously, like Seth Godin, the marketing guru, talked about being a purple cow, like being different enough to be remarkable. And that's not wrong, but we, it kind of misses a step, which is people don't care how purple your cow is if they're not already looking for milk. Do you see what I mean? Like, someone has to be interested in cows. Like, in order to buy, they have to be interested in cows. And as wild as you want, but if it's the wrong message
1: for the wrong audience,
0: then it's just not going to connect, right? So, this comes back to this curve because a very interesting thing happened. So, I want you to imagine, like, on the x axis, this is about how expert somebody feels about your topic, how much they think they already know. Okay. Oh. That's on one level. Like, yes. if it's over here, not so much, over here, more. On this axis, is how curious they are to know more, like to learn the answer that you're presenting to them. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. Now, remember I said it was a curve. So over here where somebody doesn't feel very expert in something, yeah. their curiosity is actually negative. Mm. So this is what can happen. So if you're like, I've got a purple cow and they're like, why would I care? They aren't, no, that level no. of mystery isn't, yeah, it's not enough for them to go, oh, I wonder what Jane is talking about. Let me, you know, figure out more. It's, I got way too many other things to think about. And oh, by the way, there's this other speaker who it's really clear they're talking about something that I know we need. So I'm just not even gonna be, I'm not gonna explore, right? So like, that's really important. And then so on the other side is another point where it's negative, where someone is so sure they already know the answer that they're also, again, negatively curious. So of course, what we're trying to do with this question is find that magic middle. And so that's why I suggest we're looking for a question that your audience is already asking for which they don't yet have an answer and you do,
1: right? That's important. That's an important part of it is that you have an answer and they don't yet know the answer. And so when we're but they t- want it, right? Yeah, they want it. When we're talking about, uh, Burke Castillo talks about you're selling water to thirsty people. Yes.
0: Yes, exactly. Exactly. And a lot of times, yeah. And a lot of times when I'm working with clients on this, they're like, yes, but this question isn't sexy. And I'm like, not to you, it isn't, but to them who like, they don't have this answer yet. Like they don't know how to put their content into a teeny tiny space or your client like doesn't know how to keep their team engaged or, you know, your client doesn't know how to make and maintain transformational change, but they want to, right. And they've been struggling with it. That is an extraordinarily sexy question to them, you know, and it pops them right into the middle because they know enough to know that they like that's a question they have, but they don't know the answer. So you haven't like tipped it over.
1: You got them. This is so good. We really talk about being clear over clever. Yes. Coming up with a question that's just a question. It doesn't have to be. That's right yeah, you think clever. It's just, this is the question.
0: I, I okay. say the same thing, Jane. I say never sacrifice clarity for cleverness. Like they oh. have to know that you are going to solve a problem or help them achieve a goal that they are actively looking for right now.
1: Yeah. So and that's yeah. that so over to your marketing as well too. Yeah,
0: exactly. And so sometimes, you know, and so one of the ways, so a couple ways to think about finding this one is a lot of times, when I'm working with clients on this, they're like, but that's the wrong question. Yeah. Great. Start with the wrong question because that's your whole point of your keynote is to get them to ask a different question by the end of it to say, oh, actually, okay. It's not that that's like, you know, it's not that that's the wrong question and that's, you know, I still need that answer, but I'm going to get a much more powerful result if I do this instead. Right. So
1: that's this an important question piece. question come fairly early on, like in the yes. first? It, it, it should be. So I
0: like to talk about when I'm helping people craft the beginnings of their talk. I mean, I call it a hot open, which a hot open is to start right with that question. Okay. Who here wants to raise the probability of success of their sales calls?
1: Oh, yeah, that's good.
0: Okay. <laughs> Let's go, <laughs> I mean, right? Yeah, yeah, you're like, I, I mean, do. All right, super. That's yeah, a hot I mean, open. You can you just
1: start with that question. Do. Okay. Caroline's saying, I have this problem with creativity. People think I'm not creative, so they don't have the curiosity. So she needs a question. She needs a question for which the
0: answer is creativity, but mm-hmm. they're talking about it something else. So there, okay. they may be saying, you know, how do we stay competitive in the marketplace? How do we do that? Like, so you're looking for something that you know the answer is creativity, but they okay. don't. So it's not about a bait and switch. It's getting them to understand and walking them through that you may not have thought this was the answer, but actually because of the case that you're making, it actually is.
1: With Caroline's situation, creativity can be the answer to a lot of things. So one of the things we try to narrow is what is the problem you're really helping solve with creativity? So that helps get focused too. And that might help come to the question. Okay. Okay. Yes. (laughs) Yes, <laughs> this is a little much. I have COVID, you guys, so this is. Much- I respect your.
0: This is. I know how hard it is to make the brain work after COVID. So it's like tough.
1: the last call of the day for me. I tell you. Okay, so first we want to anchor your keynote in a great question. Love yeah. that. Tell us what number two is. All right, like one
0: B. Let me just add that. Is that also? I just want to make a case for making sure that your keynote has one big answer to that, mm. not three or five or seven. Because people have one big question, they want one big answer, and your three or five or seven things should be able to roll up into that answer. But they need to walk away and go, "If I really want right to like keep my team engaged, I need to do yeah. this one big thing, yeah, and it okay. has these three parts."
1: Right? Okay. Okay. Gotcha. That's really good, and you know it keeps us coming back to focus again and again and again. Right.
0: And it keeps it from feeling overwhelming and it keeps us, it keeps, it helps you make sure that your keynote is more likely to create an actual impact with your audience so that your clients can see a return. Because if you're offering someone three or five or seven answers to their question, they're Mm going to suffer from what's known as the paradox of choice, which is you give people too many options and they take none of them. And so they're like, oh, that's interesting. It's informative. And they walk away doing nothing different.
1: That's why the simplest keynotes, I've talked a lot about Mel Robbins with her five second rule. I saw Mel speak pre five second rule and I don't remember what she talked about because there wasn't one big thing Yeah, when she brought it down to it. And basically the five second rule is just get off your butt and do something, right? That's the 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 technique
0: for getting off your butt and doing something. Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) Oh, simple. Yeah. It's just one thing. And I think that we all think, okay, I'm going down a little bit of a rabbit hole. Why do we all think that more is more talk a bit less is more and how this simplifying of your idea can be so helpful.
0: Well, I think the primary reason it can be so helpful is because for your audience, for most of them, this is the very first time they've heard it. Mm. And so You know, you've got an audience filled with smart, capable, good people, but anytime any human is faced with new information, it takes a lot of processing power for us to figure out what that person is saying, because it's all new, right? Mm -hmm. So the issue with putting a whole bunch of stuff in is that you're overwhelming that processing power. And what happens is our brains just shut it down and we just go, whoa, that's too much. I can't take it. And so, but if you've got one thing and one thing that you've hooked them with something that you know they want, it's like a persistent irritant for them not having this question answered, or it's an urgent thing that they've got to solve. Then, and you keep on that one thing, and you give them one big answer. It just, just again, raises the probability that they are going to truly hear, truly understand, agree, and then therefore act on that idea for you.
1: Oh, so good. Caroline, we're going to come back to that question when we open up for q and I hope you'll come on camera. Okay. So step number two, we've got three steps for you today. Talk about revealing a deeper problem or a tension. Yeah. What do you mean by that?
0: So to some extent, it's probably quite similar to what you're talking about, Jane, when you're saying that you help people like a what problem you really solving to help narrow it down because you know, creativity is... Can solve a whole bunch of different things. For instance, so the let me explain kind of what happens first, and then we'll kind of come back to it. And what happens is, a lot of times we say you've got this problem. The keynote is set up this way, where you've got this problem, I've got this solution. Let me explain it to you, right? And we hope that just by giving problem and solution, which I know is a very traditional format, is very consistent in what people are you know tell us about how to build a keynote. So. Do you need a problem and solution? Yes, you do. But remember what I said earlier, which is every decision has a story. We tell ourselves a story. It's not necessarily a once upon a time story, but we say, oh, this is right because this is right, or this happens because this happened." And what happens if you only give people problem and solution, you're essentially just giving them the beginning and the end of a story.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: So think of it this way. Like if I were to tell you the story of Star Wars as there was this bratty kid named Luke who wanted to be a pilot and he ended up defeating the dark side by like destroying the Death Star and save the galaxy. You're like, okay, oh, okay but how did you get there? Right. So what actually needs to happen in people's mind is to say, okay, I've got this question. How can I keep my team engaged at work? Right. And, or let's use one from one of my clients, Ted Ma. And his question that we worked on was, you know, how can I help my team, my sales team reach their full potential? Mm, Okay. Okay. Question that managers often are asking. I can see potential, they're not there yet. How do we get there? Okay. And what we have to do is to say, now you're like, again, your audience has this question, which means by and large, they have been trying to answer it for themselves. Okay. Right? So you can't go like, remember that other side of the negative curiosity, you can't say, well, like present that as if it's like a new question that no one's ever thought of because they're like, dude, I've got this question, no way. But you have to explain, what I mean by a deeper problem is the reason why that problem is so difficult to solve.
1: Oh, right? so good. Wow. So you see
0: what I mean? Like you're going that direction. So you're basically saying, just you know, continuing Ted's example, like, all right, so why is it hard? so hard for us to get our team to fulfill the potential and then where where Ted landed was it was that because right we are hoping for leaders but we're training for followers so there's this tension between what we want and what we're doing mm-hmm. and we actually have to solve that right in order to get what you want so it's the okay. reason why i recommend like building this into your keynote is because that's like really the place where you truly start to differentiate yourself from other speakers on the same topic, because you're basically saying, I say, the reason why you haven't solved this is this mm-hmm. is because there's this other tension going on, right. That we have to solve first. So we, you say, we have to figure out how do we not train followers, right? We have to figure out how we train leaders. How do we do that? Okay. And then you move on from there.
1: They've heard me talk about in the school, one of my clients, Greg Schenkel, who focused on leadership first. And then he focused on frontline leadership in manufacturing and, and developed this amazing niche. Yep. When you're in manufacturing, you get promoted into a leadership position because you're good at your job. Yes. Because you're like, you've shown yourself to be a great leader, usually. Usually it's just you're good at your job. And so you come to the table and you don't have a lot of skills. So that is something that he could talk about. How did you all, you know, get into your leadership positions? And then it's like, oh yeah, okay. We, you know, we do need what you're talking about. We do need what you're selling. Exactly, exactly. And is um, that that- probably important, right?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, the thing is that, By doing that, right? Remember how we created that curiosity gap? Okay, I have this question, but I don't have this answer yet. Oh, you're Jane, you're telling me I'm going to get an answer. And then you say, and not only that, here's why we don't have an answer to that yet, because there's actually this deeper problem we have to solve. Now you've like hooked them with another dose of curiosity because it's just like, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, that's right. Like, we've got this gap. Now what they're saying, and they're pulling themselves through your
1: keynote. And the more you know about them, the more you can get to these deeper problems. You know, that's really coming in your research. So I think that's really important. And I'm going to circle back and ask you how you do research. But let me just come to the third point. Yep. Is including something your audience already believes to create a moment of truth. That sounds really cool. Yes.
0: All right. So this is is like. Yeah. So this is. Part of what we drop out when we only give people the problem and solution is we drop out an element that's in every story like that we tell other people, all great stories. And whether that's Hero's Journey or any other kind, all great stories have this moment right before someone makes the decision to change where they have some kind of realization, right? And we, I mean, I used to do this too. We just skip right over it, right? And part of the reason why I think we do that is a, again, we remember I said before where we make the case for our idea from the point of view of somebody who's already convinced that it's right. So it actually doesn't occur to us to explain the whole like reasoning behind like, okay, if you want to get your team to fulfill their potential and you're hoping for leaders and training for followers, right? What else do we need to know? Like they need some aspect of training for followers. So they need to know why you do what you do, but they Mm -hmm. also need to know why you do it that way. And they're not going to understand that unless you give them that extra piece of information. So for instance, with Ted Ma, like we came up with this idea that leadership is learned, right? And you see that that's a phrase that a lot of people or the people who are going to be his, like more likely to be his clients would agree with. It's not something he has to convince them of. And that's really important because if you want to get someone to do something new or different, the biggest barrier to that is that it all feels new and different. But if you can make something new feel like just a different new combination of things that are already familiar, like, oh, well, because I already want this and I would agree that I'm already doing that and I already believe this. Well, I hadn't thought of them that way together, but yeah, of course, this makes a new thing. So this element is A, not always easy to find because we, we, again, it never occurs to us to say it out loud, but it is critical when it comes to creating a keynote that people can't unhear.
1: People can't unhear. I love that. So I always thought that the red line might be similar to a through line. It is hundred percent. Yes. So let's define it, each of us, just to make sure we're yeah. on the same page. So we've called it a phrase that pays. We've called it a through line. There's a lot of different kind of lingo going on about yeah. that. But when you can pull in some language at the beginning and then sprinkle it throughout, like for mm-hmm. instance, the five second rule. You know, she teed it up. What is the five-second rule at the beginning of the talk? And then sprinkled five-second rule, you know, and maybe there's a call to action that goes with that. I don't know. So I might be defining it a little bit differently than you. So just FYI, I'm thinking a through line would look really good on a coffee mug as a reminder to take action. Okay. It's like Nike's, let's just do it, right? Yes.
0: So I would say that that in my, the way I think about it, that's half a through line. Okay. So, so for me, a through line is both the question and the answer and that, and it includes both something people want and the means they don't expect because to me, but also when we think about like how through lines are referenced in, in story, but also research and in logic, it, a through line usually talks about like, what is the connecting, like what is the logical progression of ideas? And so you can, by finding the pieces of the red thread that I talk about in the book, the goal, which we've already talked about, the problem, which we've talked about, the truth that I've talked about, the change, which you already know because that's your idea, and the action, you can distill those down into a through line really easily. So, Mm -hmm. for instance, just to articulate the difference, so like Amy Cuddy's TED talk on power posing, right? Like Mm -hmm. you could say power posing is the through line to some extent, but I would say that the complete through line is, Your body language embodied in power posing may affect, like may be a key to undoing imposter syndrome or overcoming imposter syndrome.
1: Mm.
0: Like if you want to overcome imposter syndrome, right? Use your body language to your advantage. To me, that is the idea of the keynote. The tool is power posing, right? But that element of this is actually the message of the talk, that your body language may help you overcome imposter syndrome is the thing that connects everything in that talk together.
1: Yeah. And I think it's so important that you have that glue to come back to and come back to and come back to. And so we take it just that one step further and say, you know, I am powerful, you know, and I am powerful might be the phrase that she teased up at the beginning. And then said, and the idea is that it sends people home, like ready to take action. And so if I look at my coffee mug, and it reminds me in the morning, I am powerful and maybe I'm going to do my pose before I get on my call with whoever I'm going to talk to. Yep. That's the idea is that it's a reminder. So I think we have different language for it, but it's all important and moves in exactly the same direction. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So let us just ask you one final question and then we're going to wrap this and we're going to come to Q&A sure. with our group. What would you say in the structure of a keynote is like, are typically some things that you think people miss anything that we haven't covered yet? Is there anything that, you know, we know that stories sell. So I, I always talk to people about balancing the teaching versus stories. How do you talk about balancing the teaching versus? Uh, I would one hundred percent. So to me, usually when we talk
0: about story, we're talking about the definition of story that essentially means an example of something, right? Like, let me give you an example. Like, and we're telling a story either to say, let me exhibit, give you an example of when I went through this. Like, if you're telling like a story of yourself, you're like, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Or if it's a case study or some work you do with a client, you're using it as an example, right? We need to make sure that we're always clear with our audience of what is it an example of. And I think sometimes we miss that. We miss like drawing out for the audience, what the lesson of that story, what
1: the point of that story actually is. So the point needs to come first and then the example.
0: Not necessarily. Uh So as long as they're both there, right? As long as you're saying, you know what? Let me give you this powerful, you know, this phrase that pays, slow and steady wins the race. Let me Uh tell you a story, And then you're like, do you see what I mean? Like, so you can do point, example, point, or you can do point, example, or you can do example, point. My point is just never give an example without making sure that you've explained the point to the audience as well, because you may be sure that your meaning is clear, but that is probably not the case. So it's a thing that scientists and psychologists know as the false consensus effect. It's, we tend to believe that everybody sees the world the same way we do but they don't. And so by being clear on what the point of the story is, either the one you're about to tell or the one you just told, you are eliminating the chance that someone takes the wrong message out of it.
1: You know, this is why we craft our keynote rather than wing it. Because then you're not yes. leaving like that to chance. Yeah.
0: Right? Yeah, yeah. It's because so- if you're not... So here's the other... I need to find the citation again, but there is research that shows that 60 to 70% of a story is, gets lost by the fifth or sixth retelling, something along those lines. In oh. other words, we lose the words, but what sticks is the idea. Right. So if you're not super clear with your audience on what idea you want them to take away, they're going to walk away with their own idea. And it may not be the one that supports your message. And if it isn't the one that supports your message that might be why you don't my sometimes you don't get the reaction or the return on a talk that you're looking for because you thought this was a beautifully clear example of something yes. but you didn't tell it them what it was an example of. And so that's a big thing for me is to make sure that you're always making sure that a you know the point of a story <laughs> and b that you tell them because when you do that not only are you guaranteeing that the audience understands why you told that story. But it also serves as a really good check about whether or not a story belongs in that particular talk or not. Uh Because if you can't make it, make a point, like if you can't draw a lesson that's actually tied to the big through line, the big idea of your talk, it doesn't belong there. Uh And I struggle this with too, because I had this like awesome story. It's like it has all the hallmarks of a classic signature story, except it had nothing to do With what I normally talk about. So it was like, everyone's like, always like, why don't you talk about this? And I'm like, because it really doesn't, it doesn't go with this. And I finally was able to develop a few, a few months ago, a talk that was about making and maintaining transformational change. And it was about kind of how do we swap out beliefs that are holding us back from something to beliefs that are, that can actually connect us to the actions that lead us to. And then I was like, no, I finally have a reason to tell this story. but it's really critical that you've got that connection.
1: Hey, that's really good. Let's do an audit of all of our stories and make sure that they're necessary. I really think the whole less is more concept is perfect for the people who are with us here today. Tamson. I can't tell you thank you enough. Like really being here, tell everybody on for the recording, stay tuned people. We're going to open it up and have you come on screen hopefully and ask your questions. Tell everybody how they should get in touch with you if they want to work with you. Is there a kind of like a first step to that?
0: Yes. I mean, there's, I've got a contact form on my website at TamsinWebster.com. If they feel like skipping the contact form, which they're welcome to, they can just email me directly at Tamsin at TamsinWebster.com.
1: Okay. Because the work that you do is seriously transformative, I'm thinking, for people in their keynotes. So thank you so much for being there. And with that, we'll say, see you soon, Wealthy Speakers.
0: Thanks for listening to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast. If you need help building the speaking business of your dreams, head over to wealthyspeakerschool.com
1: and take advantage of our 20-minute next-step call. Thanks for listening to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast.